This is Emily Beauclair, and you're listening to the Smiles Included podcast, navigating through life with our rare disease superheroes. Welcome to the first Smiles Included podcast. Before we get to my inaugural guest, I'd like to quickly introduce myself and what I hope that listeners will get from this podcast. So my name is Emily Beauclair, and my four-year-old son, Joseph, was recently diagnosed with Scraben-Deardorff syndrome. You'll hear me refer to Joe and the other kids with this disease as superheroes because of all the hard work and therapy that they need to do in order to progress. But also because one of the blessings is that these kids are insanely happy and affectionate humans. And I always say that Joe's superpower is that he will make anyone smile. And that is very true. Scraben-Deardorff is a mutation of the WDR26 gene and is characterized by global developmental delays, neurological issues, intellectual disability, among many other things. This disorder was identified in 2018, so it is very, very new, and we as parents and advocates and caregivers have so many questions. I call it a spectrum disorder because the kids with Scraben-Deardorff develop at very different rates and have all sorts of issues impacting or not impacting them. And that is what led me to develop a podcast. My goal is to provide a place to share our stories and advice and learn from each other to help us bring out the best in our kids. We will cover all sorts of topics from communication to handling seizures to toilet training, many others. Guests on this podcast will range from parents to experts in their field. And I hope this podcast will help you feel like you're part of a community of people that all have the same goal of bringing out the best in our superheroes. My first guest is Cynthia Lang, mom of one of our Scraben-Deardorff superheroes, and also involved in some fascinating genetic research with her son. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Cynthia. So happy you agreed to be my first guest and share your story with us. I'm hoping Absolutely. This, Thank you, Emily. Yeah, and I'm hoping this is really just the first time of many times that we speak. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your child. Sure. Uh, so I'm fortunate to work in healthcare as a VP of neuroscience. And oh, wow. um, my husband is a cellist and teaches orchestra. Um, and the way that I started in neuro was at first by chance, I thought, but now I realize that it was absolutely meant to be, um, as it would eventually help my son. So Sebastian was born in July 2016. And he is our first child. We waited about nine years after we were married to have a baby, uh, and he was the first grandchild in our family, so everyone was very excited for his arrival. You know, he was diagnosed with Scraben-Deardorff in March of 2021, um, when he was four years old at the time. Um, So we've been dealing with this now for over a year, although it feels like it's been a, a lot longer. Um, but overall, he's, he's a very happy little boy, always smiling, always laughing, and is essentially the light of our family. So, you know, we've all rallied around Sebastian and are putting all of our energy into helping him um, and, and really everyone in the Scraven-Deardorff community. Yeah, and I think it really is a blessing about how happy these children are. They, they light up a room when they walk in there. Um, but for me, that delayed our diagnosis because everyone's like, don't worry, he's happy. 
Uh, so I'm sure he's fine. He's just, you know, he'll catch up. So how old was Sebastian when you started to notice that he wasn't reaching his developmental milestones? Yeah, I was a, a very nervous mommy. So yeah. I was watching him <laughs> very closely, especially as our first child, uh, to make sure that he was hitting his milestones. So around six months when he wasn't crawling, I started to get nervous. Uh, and I spoke to our pediatrician about it. They ordered physical therapy. He started crawling. So I told myself that was just me being nervous and trying to put it out of my mind. Uh, at 12 months, he still wasn't walking. Uh, and I became very nervous yeah. again. Uh, he didn't walk until he was almost two years old at 22 months. And at two years old, he still wasn't speaking. Uh, so I was very, very nervous at that point. We did speech therapy, you know, uh, all sorts of things, but still wasn't speaking. Uh, at two was also the age when he had a febrile seizure. Yeah. Uh, and me, even though I worked in neuro all those years, I had never had actually witnessed a seizure. So I was terrified when it happened. Um, and of course, uh, being fortunate enough to have direct access to a pediatric neurologist, um, I had talked to him about it, and he tried to reassure me and say, these are very common in children. Mm -hmm. um, and I think to, to placate me, he's like, but, you know, we'll order an EEG if that'll make you feel better. Yep. Um, so we were admitted to the EMU. Uh, overnight and the next day our pediatric neurologist called me into his office and he said I can't believe I'm telling you this but your son has epilepsy uh, and even though it I knew what that meant mm -hmm. which is very scary because you know uh, controlling seizures can be very difficult um, in a way I was relieved because in my mind I thought well maybe this is why he isn't talking yeah uh, yeah. You know, maybe all this epileptic activity is interfering with that. Uh, so at that point, we put it, we put him on medication for his seizures, and he he never had another seizure. Thank goodness. Oh really? Um, oh, so you're one of the lucky yes, ones. We are one of the lucky <laughs> ones. Yes, thank God. So he um, very well controlled seizures, um, but after trying multiple different medications, none of them helped with his speech yep. so we felt stuck at that point and i i mean we had tried everything that you could possibly try anything where anyone said this helped their child mm -hmm. start talking yep. we tried but of course none of it worked were you involved at all in or did anybody tell you about the birth to three services where you you would get you know speech therapy uh, ot physical therapy, all provided by the state? So because I worked in healthcare, I knew of it. So okay. I actually, and in the state I lived in at the time, you could refer yourself. Yes. Um, so we referred ourselves to those services oh, and, and they were wonderful. All of the pediatric therapists that we had worked with were fantastic. So yes, Sebastian got PT, he got speech, he got occupational, um, and they, they helped him somewhat with his motor skills, but mm -hmm. nothing helped with his speech. Yep, exactly. Yeah, we, we had a very similar experience. And my son didn't walk until he was two and a half. Uh, yeah. And I, that was really during the pandemic. At that time, we were doing PT over Zoom. So that was a whole lot of fun. 
Um, but, <sighs> yeah, but really we, challenging. Yeah, but we we didn't even none of our healthcare providers even told us about the birth to three services, and it, luckily a, a family friend mentioned it. And something we need to talk about in a future podcast with some of the other parents is how difficult it can be to get some of the services our children need, and how much we need to advocate on their behalf. What was your experience with the genetic testing? Because we had a very difficult time convincing our doctors to do it. And I'm not sure if you had the same experience. Sure. Yeah. So even though I worked at a great um, healthcare system at that time, we also had some difficulty with the genetic testing. So when I mentioned it to our neurologist, what he had told me was we could do genetic testing, but even if we do and something comes up, there's nothing we can do. About. <gasps> yes. So, yes. So in a way they deter you yes. from doing it. <laughs> we heard the same exact they thing. Make it seem, yes, exactly. They make it seem like it's kind of useless, but I, I knew in my heart uh, that I cannot not know. Exactly. So even, even if all it does for us is gives us a diagnosis and there's nothing more we can do, at least I can have that peace of mind to know what it is. Um, so I pushed for it, and they ordered a series of panels. So they did Fragile X testing. They did Angelman's mm-hmm. testing. Um, and I prayed that it would all come out negative, and thankfully it was. Um, but I still couldn't shake the feeling that this is something. I, I truly felt like I feel like there's something genetic going on here. Um, and me doing my own research, uh, even though I work in healthcare, I am not clinical, mm-hmm. Um I, I knew about whole exosome testing, so I, I asked our um, neurologists about it, and uh, and they finally did it. So after we got um, uh, sent over the sample, it felt like forever for us to give us the results, but it was in March of 2021 when we finally got them, and they told us that he had scraped yeah. and syndrome. Um, and the way that the news was delivered obviously this was during the pandemic so this was all via phone call um so they told us your son has scraven deerdorf why don't you google that oh god and that's the worst advice ever <laughs> it was the worst looking back i'm like yeah. i don't know why anyone would do that um but obviously we did and you know just learned it was extremely rare there was no treatment for it and yeah I mean, we were just devastated. Yeah. Completely yeah. devastated. And do you know anybody else that, or did you at the time know anybody else that had a child with a rare disease? I didn't, but, uh, you know, a, a, a couple years before, or maybe it was one year before Sebastian was diagnosed, I re- remembered reading an article on my phone uh, about a mom who had a son with rare disease and how much she had fought to start research and find a treatment for him. And there was something about that article that told me I need to save this in case I ever need to reference it in the future. So, and and that article was about Amber Freed. I don't know if you know who Amber Freed is. Um, Her son has a rare uh, genetic condition uh, called SLC61 something, I believe. Sorry, Amber. Um, but I remember after Sebastian was diagnosed um, that night, actually, you know, just obviously crying and just feeling completely devastated. And I found that article that I saved and it had her email. So I emailed her in the middle of the night. This was like one or 2 a.m. 
I sent Amber an email um, and she responded within like an hour or two. That's so, amazing. Um, oh, she's, she's incredible. Um, and, you know, told me how sorry she was, told me about her journey and said, here's my number, you know, call me at any time and I'm, I'm happy to talk you through this. Uh, so it was really Amber in the beginning who helped me so much by sharing all the wealth of knowledge that she had learned through her own journey, um, sharing with me where the pitfalls were, you know, this is where you should focus your energy and essentially how she was able to start research for her own son. That's, that's just amazing to hear because it's, it feels very isolating when you find out that your child has this rare disease and you don't know what to do next. And I, I was very lucky that I had a, an ex-colleague, actually, that now is a very good friend who had a child with a rare disease. And, and she was the one that was pushing me to get the, uh, the genetic testing because she kind of... I think she knew something I didn't based on based on what was happening with all of the symptoms and with the, you know, he'll catch up, he'll catch up that I that I kept hearing, even though I knew he wasn't catching up. Um, and it's just this community has, has opened up. And I'm just it. I love to hear from you that you just reached out to a stranger and she responded to you and is now someone that will give you advice and and help you along the way. And I think there are so many rare disease parents that are open to sharing their stories if it helps other people. Absolutely. It's, you know, so many in the rare disease community will say this is the community you never wanted to join, um, but are so grateful for because these families and parents and loved ones are just so willing to share everything that they've learned because really we're all here supporting each other. And unfortunately, there's very limited support for people with rare disease. So this is really one of the few groups that you can turn to. Yeah. And I've discovered there are, there are so many different rare diseases and so many parents out there that are looking for answers. And it's just, it's just so difficult. And that's why I hate to hear you Googled it because that's what I was constantly doing as well. And it would just get me depressed. Um, and like, absolutely. Yeah. And would not, it would not help. It would not give me, it would just say, okay, you know, be happy with that. Your child is happy. And you know, he's, he has a disease that is not going to kill him, which was a fantastic relief. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to push for, you know, the genetic testing was I, I needed that answer. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I found out the opposite answer. And I know a lot of parents have to deal with that, but it's just, I don't understand why it, why it's so difficult why it's so difficult to get this, this testing done. And uh, it's just, your story sounds so similar to mine. And it's just so frustrating. Yeah. And I really wish that we can change the attitude around it in the medical community. And Mm -hmm. maybe that will change soon to go. This isn't, this isn't something that has to be a dead end. And, you know, when we got the diagnosis, we were essentially told, you know, there's nothing we can do. Good luck. Yeah. I remember seeing a neuropsychologist who told us, you know, your son is never going to graduate high school. Uh, he, he'll get, you know, a certificate of completion and just, you know, take him home and love him. And I remember how devastated Ugh. I was and thinking, what is this person talking about? Yeah. How are they already telling me that my son is, is just never going to progress? And that's not okay. I can't, 
I can't just take him home and love him and not, not at least try and do something. I'm not ready to give up. That that's just such a complete lack of faith in in your son and in you by giving you giving you an answer like that. I wow. Well, I'm glad you didn't listen because I would love to talk about this organization that you're involved in because uh, it seems like you've really gone above and beyond and we're looking for a way to advocate for your child. So tell me a little bit about RareBase. Sure. So uh, RareBase is an early stage uh, public benefit precision medicine company, mm-hmm. and they're based out in Palo Alto, California. And they work to deliver therapies to millions of people living with rare genetic diseases uh, that have no effective treatments. We know that less than 5% of rare diseases even have a treatment. Uh, So currently, they're working with over a dozen different rare disease organizations to complete drug repurposing research for them. So essentially, what we're trying to do is determine are there any drugs that currently exist that could be repurposed to treat this disease. Uh, The CEO of this company is a rare disease patient himself. uh, Mm -hmm. And this is something that he was able to do for himself and then created this company around that. So for me, after Sebastian was diagnosed, I, I think I took a day to cry and then the next day, I knew I had to be focused on something active. I can't just, you know, sit back and not do something for my child. So I'm, I'm proud of I you for spent, only taking a day to cry. I, I <laughs> well, I, I won't, I won't pretend that I didn't cry more. But I, I took a day to grieve and not do anything yes. else. And after that, I said I had to take action. So for about two weeks, I did nothing but research and I was on my computer and I was watching videos and there's there's a lot of great rare disease organizations out there like Global Genes and um, you know Nord and others so I was watching all sorts of videos and things that they had and at some point stumbled upon um, a website uh, for an organization run by someone named uh, Ethan uh, Pearl Mm -hmm. and was put in contact with him and he had essentially let me know that, you know, he was no longer doing this research work, but Hey, I know of this company called Rarebase. Why don't you contact them and, you know, see what they tell you. So, um, that's, that's how we started. So it was doing, it, it was organically through doing all of this research. And then one thing led to another, which led to Rarebase. That's, that's amazing. And I, 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 I find it fantastic that you found some way to advocate for your child so you're not sitting there grieving for multiple days Uh, because I think that's probably the hardest part of getting this rare disease diagnosis is you know what can I do next to help my child because you're not just taking him home and loving him like yeah you'll do that but that's not that's not gonna that's not gonna help your child achieve what you know he can achieve and so this is this is great and I I want to hear a lot more about Rarebase, and we'll definitely put a link uh, to the to the company in the podcast notes, so everybody can go and see it for themselves. But what do you hope that Rarebase is going to do for your son and for others that that have rare diseases? 
So fortunately, we are towards the end of our journey with Rarebase as we've been working with them for about a year now. Um, and as a matter of fact, next week, I have a call scheduled with them to review the preliminary results of their research. So my dream is that they tell us we have found a drug that will help your son. And essentially, our target has, there's multiple targets that I'm not a scientist, so I won't do this justice. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm explaining it in my terms, the way I understand it. Um, but essentially, with at least in Sebastian's case, he has one good copy of the WDR26 um, gene and one copy that essentially isn't functioning. So what we're trying to do is either over-exaggerate the good copy to make up for the bad copy, um, because what happens is that gene is functioning at 50%, right, when you have a bad copy, and it's supposed to function at 100%. Mm-hmm. So we either need to over-exaggerate the good copy so it can function you know, at or close to 100%, or find other pathways within the bad copy to make it start functioning. Um, And they have their own artificial intelligence uh, and software to do this and determine, are there drugs that that already exist that can help do this? So my dream is they tell us that they found something. Yeah, Yeah. it is unbelievable how far the science has come. And... Uh, and to know that this exists, uh, I, I'm so grateful to this company. This is obviously something that I could have never done on my own. Uh, so to have someone like them exist is just a beacon of hope for yeah. rare disease yeah. families. And did they just you know take a little blood from Sebastian and are just running you know millions of tests, or do you have to do you have to do anything else for them to be able to evaluate you know the the gene itself and I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering if he's got to take any of these drugs in order to see if, or solutions in order to, to see if they work for him. Right. So uh, now there's multiple different ways that you can submit a sample. At the mm-hmm. time that we started with them, uh, we had to submit a skin biopsy of my son, myself, and my husband um, and, and mail that to the company, which we did. Uh, from there, they grow stem cells, um, and wow. from the stem cells, they grow they grow neurons, uh, and that's what they use to do all of their research and determine are there any drugs that will have effect on WDR twenty six. So, uh, my husband and I often joke that our dream would be if they told us, "Hey, you know, some super cheap drug is going to cure yeah. your son." <laughs> <coughs> I don't know if we'll be that lucky. We'll see. But, um, but yes, that, that's essentially how they do their research. Oh, wow. I mean, so, so I was going to ask you, you know, what other parents of, of Scrabble and Deardorff kids can do for this organization, but it kind of sounds like you are doing this on behalf of all of us because, you know, you, you, should we, should we all be sending stem cells to this organization to help out or, or are you really doing this that it's going to help Scrabble and Deardorff in general? So, in a sense, the work that we're doing for Sebastian hopefully will help the community in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are extremely fortunate 
when I started with Rarebase, they asked me, you know, who who are the the physicians or the scientists that know the most about this? So obviously, I gave them um, the information for Dr. Scraven and Dr. Deerdorf. Um, and Dr. Deerdorf is now serving on their scientific advisory board. Oh, wow. So we have the benefit of having essentially one of our specialists who knows the most about this participating in this and helping them to create their experiments. So whatever the end result is, it could be the most useful for us. Um, With that all said, there are limits in that obviously this is extremely specific to Sebastian. That's the only sample that they have. Um, But Rarebase has a biobank for, uh, for each rare disease. So, and this is something that we're going to talk about at the conference in July, the family conference in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. but we would love for other families to participate so that we can increase the number of samples in the biobank and see, you know, the results of our research, is it replicable in other patients? Um, that's what we want to be able to see. Right now, we're not re- going to really know because Sebastian is the only sample that we have. If we have more samples, we'll know if whatever we discover, will it help others as well and not just Sebastian? Well, I think you are about to get hopefully tens, if not hundreds of people volunteering their children to <laughs> give some some samples because I think we're all looking for any chance of, of hope and struggling with what we can do next. And man, this this is great news. I mean, it's just makes us feel like we can do something. And I am so thankful that you went on this journey and are, you know, helping the entire the entire Scrabbin Deerdorf community. Yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful to Rarebase for all the work that they've been doing for us. And I have a fantasy in my mind of going to the conference in July and sharing great results from the research with the other families. Um, and then hopefully being able to start our kids on a treatment soon. That is my dream. I very much hope that dream comes true. What Cynthia is referencing is there's a family Scraben Deerdorf conference at CHOP at the end of July, which I know a lot of families aren't able to attend due to costs or geographical reasons. So we're definitely going to be bringing back a lot of takeaways from that conference to this podcast. But Cynthia, if there are families listening to this ahead of that conference that want to be proactive with getting involved with Rarebase, what can they do? They, if, if they want to submit a sample to Rarebase, they can mm-hmm. contact them okay. um, and let them know. And Rarebase will send them a kit uh, and, and give them more information essentially about how to submit their sample. Great. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, earlier, we'll definitely put a link to Rarebase in this uh, podcast notes if people are interested in being proactive, but Maybe they'll just wait to, to speak with you in person in July because I am very much looking forward to meeting all these families in July. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. I have not met anyone else who exactly. has a child screaming Deerdorf, so I'm very excited to meet other families. Oh, man. It's, I, I honestly feel bad for the, the families that want to be there and can't because I am so looking forward to it. Um, I think it'll just be a great way for 
us to see other kids that have it and see them interact with each other, I think is just going to be a an experience that I, I I'm going to try not to cry the whole time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I hope by us all meeting each other, we can also rally around a common cause, which is yes. obviously our children. And what can we do to help them? Whether that's, you know, submitting samples to rare base, whether that's looking for other treatment options with, you know, the help of Dr. Deerdorf and Dr. Scraben. Um, so I'm so looking forward to talking about what are our next steps and what can we actively do to help our kids. Exactly. Oh, man, I have chills now. I have chills. So it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, it will. Uh, yes, it'll be good. Um, okay, so stepping back a bit, what advice do you have for someone that is just getting describing Deerdorf diagnosis or another rare disease diagnosis? Sure. So I'll, I'll speak to Scraben Deerdorf specifically, knowing our kids and their symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say making sure that you get the right therapies for your child. So a lot of times we hear, you know, there's nothing that we can do, which in a sense is true. There is no treatment right now for Scraben Deerdorf, but there are things you can do that might help. So I'll I'll share my journey with Sebastian some. Um, So we started Sebastian in ABA therapy. And he's essentially been attending that full time, um, almost for two years now. And it has helped him so much when it comes to his cognitive skills, um, when it comes to his motor skills. So before you could put a puzzle in front of Sebastian, he wouldn't be able to put it together. You can ask him to match. He wouldn't have been able to do it. Now he does it like second nature. And, you know, it's, it's so quick. And, and I remember when our therapist first showed us videos of Sebastian doing these things, we were crying uh, because we didn't know if he was ever going to be able to do that. Uh, So ABA therapy for our son has just been tremendously helpful. Um, He's also received occupational therapy, which has helped him a lot with his sensory issues. So I know a lot of our kids on this journey at some point have also been diagnosed with autism, um, which can sometimes come with some sensory issues. So for our son, Mm -hmm. he hated to have his head touched. It made it very difficult, as you can imagine, during bath time and hair washing. Uh, So occupational therapy has helped so much with that. Now we can wash his hair. Now we can brush his teeth. Um, So those normal day-to-day activities are so much easier now. So I I would definitely say to look into those things. Um, That's great to hear. Yes. For rare disease in general, I would definitely say, you know, look into some of these uh, rare disease organizations. Global Genes is very helpful. Um, They have several conferences that they host throughout the year. Their website has a lot of resources. Uh, and for, for someone, again, who's not clinical and knew nothing about rare disease before our son was diagnosed, uh, it was definitely a great resource uh, to learn some basics and also to learn from other rare disease organizations. How are they fighting this? What are they doing? And what can we learn from each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all great advice. Going back to the, the ABA therapy do you have Sebastian in something in ABA 
full-time or do you have him in school and he's doing these these therapies on the side so we have him in ABA full-time so obviously you know we've we've been living through the pandemic right the last two years Um, and in Sebastian's case at the time the only option for him was virtual school which we just knew would not work well for him Uh, so we decided to enroll him full-time at a center which was wonderful and was able to to provide him one-to-one, uh, you know, coaching with a tech and a therapist, uh, which has just been extremely beneficial. Uh, Sebastian is turning six next month. Uh, so for the upcoming school year, we are planning to enroll him in kindergarten. Um, wow. But we're, we're also looking at doing some sort of hybrid model. So perhaps having him attend school for half the day in the morning and then attend ABA in the afternoon. Uh, but that's something that we're, we're still figuring out with the school district here. Mm-hmm. Well, I love hearing the progress and I love hearing the inclusion uh, and, you know, thinking about having him in, in kindergarten. And I know it's, it's definitely a tough decision, but, you know, I think as, as you're moving forward, you're going to be fighting more and more for your child and what's right. And, you know, learning, learning from others and hearing what, what you're doing and in your path and, and potentially splitting the school day, uh, I think it's, is really interesting because a lot of us, I've, my son is only four, we're really questioning what we should be doing as they get closer to kindergarten. Um, you know, he's in a preschool right now that, that's definitely helping him, but the, the peers that are his age, it just becomes more and more obvious how behind he is. And it's like, do we need to put more pressure on these therapies on the side? So it's very interesting to hear you're doing some like full-time ABA. Yeah. Um, and and we, we had a similar struggle deciding do we enroll him in our school or not and ultimately decided what's going to be most beneficial right now is going to mm-hmm. be that full-time therapy support. Um, so I, I feel like we made the right decision for Sebastian. It may not be the right decision for everyone. But I, I at least want people to know that they have options, and that's definitely something that they should look into. Yeah, great. And have there been any blessings that you would say came out of this rare disease journey? Oh, wow. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to see the silver lining in things because yep. it can feel, you know, very detrimental. Um, but there have definitely been blessings. I, I think one of them has in some ways, my faith in humanity have been restored by just working with so many great people in the rare disease community who just give and give and give with no expectation. You know, they just, they want others mm-hmm. to succeed and to not fail where they failed. So I'm so grateful for all the rare disease, you know, trailblazers who I look to as role models just sharing all this information with us um, and really being so extremely helpful and they just do it out of the goodness of their heart and you know spend so much time to educate people like me so I'm I'm very grateful for that Um, I I think the other blessing has been it you know we we have another child Sabrina our our daughter who's uh, Mm -hmm. Sebastian's little sister she's two Um, and it it does make you appreciate you know, your typical child a little bit more. Obviously, we were extremely scared that Sabrina could have this as well. Luckily, she does not. 
uh, but it 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 does make us more appreciative of her milestones and uh, you know thankfully she has progressed normally uh, but you know it's it, it's bittersweet because mm-hmm. you know she's speaking she's she's ahead of her brother at this point which yeah. we're happy to see but also in our hearts it's hurtful because these are the same things that we want for Sebastian um, and, and we hope that he's going to get there. Absolutely. And I can tell you, you are not alone with that feeling because I also have a two-year-old and everything that you are saying is resonating, resonating with me. And I'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of other people as you know, our two-year-olds are hitting these milestones and you see your other child is just falling, falling further, further behind. <sighs> but we'll get there. And I'm hoping that these siblings turn out to be know fantastic advocate advocates and fantastic human beings because they have grown up with a sibling with a rare disease exactly okay so before we go is there anything else you that we haven't touched on that you want listeners to know about i would just say don't ever quit fighting for your child so so many times we're told there's nothing you can do. There's the science has evolved so much so quickly that I, I know there are things on the horizon. You know, there uh, there's ASO therapy, there's gene therapy that other neurodevelopmental rare diseases have done. So I, I know that there's more that we can do, which I'm so excited to see. Um, at the family conference and, you know, getting this information from our physicians. Um, but mm-hmm. don't ever stop fighting for your kids. There's, there's a lot more that we can do. And I think by all of us joining together uh, and making that our focus, we will get there. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think there's going to be major advancements in our lifetimes and in our kids' lifetimes that are going to not only benefit our kids, but everybody behind us. So thank you for really starting starting this journey with us and, and letting us know what you're doing. And I think you're going to get a lot of questions when people see you in July about how we can help with, with Rarebase and some of these other uh, companies that are, are really pushing to help help everybody with a rare disease. Absolutely. I'm happy to share more information. And thank you, Emily, for starting this podcast. It's going to be so helpful to our community. And I'm very grateful for you for taking the time to do this. I I hope so. Um, and the reception that the Scrabble and Deardor Foundation and, and the board gave me when I mentioned this podcast just made me realize how badly we need it. So I can't wait to just really dive into some some topics. But thank you for being my first guest. Absolutely. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you found today's topic helpful in your rare disease journey. If you have any topics you'd like to discuss, or if you want to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me via the website included in the show description. Talk soon.